0: You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, last Sunday, Courtney Schweizer was baptized into Christ. If you were here at 1030 last week, you got to see it and experience a powerful moment uh, where Courtney, she's from Switzerland, had been here for five weeks with the Hampton family. And uh, her mom and Libby had been pen pals 30 years ago. And here she was visiting with the Hampton family, and she came and just experienced their love for her and a church family who loved her and cared for her. And she was going to women's Bible study and coming to church on Sundays and experiencing life groups and all kinds of things with that. It was just a a powerful moment. And if you were not here, I want you to see it. And I'm going to pick up on the baptism where Tim is talking. And I just want you to give your attention to the screen. And we're going to watch this baptism from last Sunday.
1: What a blessing to be part of this journey this morning. Uh, It's just been incredible. And uh, as I uh, look at Jeremiah, one, he talks about how he knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. And I truly believe that he had a plan for Courtney 30 years ago when her mother came and stayed the summer with us. And she has uh, traveled that journey. And she has, uh, through all the love that's been shown to her through her time here, through these groups, through Northside, and through our family, and just all those around us have shown her Jesus' love. And because of that, it is, she has traveled that path, and she is here this morning. But I would reach out to you and ask you if there's anybody out here who is running from God today. And if you are... He has laid a path for you as well, and that path is paved with the blood of Jesus Christ. And He wants you to, to follow that path back to Him, no matter what you, where you are, or what you've done. And that path has uh, guardrails of love and faith, of love and mercy and grace. And He wants you so back. And I'm so blessed to be here this morning, as Courtney has taken that path back to Him. I just wanted to say thank you to all the precious people that I've met here and that has has an impact in my life and I was just saying thank you to that beautiful Hampton family that showed me the love of God and his heart. Okay. Right, Courtney. I wanna ask you in front of God and in front of all these witnesses. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God? And is it your desire to make him Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, God, yeah, I do.
0: Thank you. Wow. Praise God. I just I wanted to share that with you because of, of the impact that love has on someone's life and on their heart. And, you know, the very next Monday, Courtney was on a flight across the Atlantic to go home. And sitting next to her is a woman from Romania who was going back for her father's funeral and to settle the estate and everything that comes with it. And she was struggling. She was struggling emotionally and a little bit distraught and talking. And Courtney shared with Tim and Libby that she felt the Holy Spirit prompting her to pray for this woman. But Courtney didn't do it immediately. I mean, she'd never done that before. Um, And so they continued on the flight for a little bit, but this woman circled back around talking about the death and what she was going through. And Courtney just said that she was surprised, I I guess somewhat impressed with uh, just how loud The Holy Spirit's voice was in challenging her to step out and do something she had never done before. And she just turned to that woman and said, Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? And the woman said, Yes. And Courtney prayed for her. And the rest of that flight, she was thanking Courtney for praying for her and what that meant for her in that minute, in that moment. And how exciting to see a young disciple who on Sunday morning was surrendering her life to Jesus. And on Monday is on a plane and already feeling the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And that young disciple chose in that moment to speak to God about a stranger she did not know and to begin to talk to God on behalf of this woman and to intercede and to pray to God in the power of Jesus. And what a a powerful example of what it looks like for a disciple to become a disciple who begins to make disciples. And I was just encouraged by that. Encouraged from the Hampton family and from those of you in the faith family who were able to speak words of grace and love and mercy to Courtney over those five weeks that she was here. I was encouraged to see your faith so visible for her that she would say to Alan Tiger out here at Decision Point, I want to live like you live. I want to live like you live. I I want what you have. Because words are powerful. Words are powerful. Proverbs 18, 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and of death. Words are powerful. God spoke this creation into existence with words. And God said, and he spoke. And there was light he spoke and and there was life. And of course, Satan spoke too. He spoke words of temptation that ended up bringing death and darkness into that light. When Jesus then came from heaven, it says in John one, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. He was word. He was spoken word so that when Jesus begins to speak, we know that Luke 4.18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners. Jesus spoke life-giving words, words of grace, words of freedom, words of love. There's power in words as he proclaimed. When Jesus went to the tomb of his friend Lazarus and he stood there, he he performed one of the greatest miracles he performed. It it, it was not hocus pocus, some kind of magic trick. And he didn't go in there and slap Lazarus on the forehead like some TV evangelist or something, some healer. He said, he just said, come out. And those words brought a dead body to life. And Lazarus came walking out of that grave in the power of God because Jesus spoke to him. He spoke to him life. Jesus who told Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus gave life giving words. In fact, Luke 4 goes on to say in verse 22 that all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Jesus spoke with such grace. I want us to hear that today that people often are drawn by love and grace. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. When you speak life-giving words over someone, it has an impact in their life. Jesus had those kinds of words. Even though in that same text we know that Jesus gave those gracious words to a people that he knew were about to try to push him off of the cliff. And the reason for that is because he knew in his hometown that they would not listen to him just as his people did not listen to the prophets that God had sent before him. And so he gives examples of how Elijah did not go to the widows of Israel but instead went to the widow of Zarephath. She was a Gentile. Jews did not like Gentiles. And when he said that, that wasn't appreciated. And then when Jesus went on to say, Elisha, Elisha, he didn't go to the lepers of Israel, but instead he went to a, a leper named Naaman, who was a Gentile. And those people who had been prejudiced against the Jews wanted to kill him. And yet Jesus spoke in the synagogue in such a way that people saw his words as kind and gracious, full of grace grace. And it gave hope to the poor. And this was often Jesus' approach to lost people. I want us to look at one of those encounters. I think it will help us as we go from this place today to think through how we engage a lost world. How we engage lost people around us. And it's found in Luke chapter 7, if you want to open your Bible or device to that. And I I want to kind of explain really quick as we open up to Luke chapter 7, because for some of you in this room, it's going to be a story that sounds familiar. It's a woman with an alabaster jar of perfume around uh, her neck that she would have taken and poured on Jesus' feet. But I, I want us to clarify here because there's two stories of two different women who do this. And Luke chapter 7 is a different story than what we have in the other Gospels. So Matthew and Mark, Matthew 26, Mark 14, they also have a story that's very similar to this. Both women are at the home of a man named Simon. And both women have an alabaster jar of perfume about a year's wages that they're going to pour out on Jesus. But there's some significant differences. Luke that we're about to read, it's Simon the Pharisee. It's at his house. Whereas the other Gospels, it's Simon the leper. In Luke's account, only the feet are anointed. But in the other accounts of Matthew and Mark, the head was anointed as well. In Luke, tears are mentioned. The tears are flowing. In the other accounts, there's no tears mentioned. In Luke's account, it takes place during the middle of his Galilean ministry. Whereas in Matthew and Mark, and as as referenced in John chapter 12 as well, a different account of that other story, uh, it happens in the last week before Christ's crucifixion. Stories have some similarities, but two different lessons are taught. Luke's account, the emphasis is on repentance and forgiveness. Whereas the other one is on the lavish wastefulness of this woman and that she poured it out on Jesus when maybe she should have given it to the poor. Two different things emphasized in those texts. It's also interesting to note that in John chapter 11, we're told that Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, is the Mary who poured the perfume on Jesus' feet, as recorded in John chapter 12. That occasion is a different occasion. It's the Matthew and Mark occasion, not the one from Luke chapter 7. And so today I want us to read about this account of this woman in Luke chapter 7. As Jesus gives life-giving words of forgiveness over this woman. I want us to stand for the reading of God's Word today. Let's stand together as we read Luke 7, beginning of verse 36. And we want to hear from Jesus today. As our hearts are just to impact this world one person at a time. Here's what we read. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. By using that term, we understand that Simon is saying this this woman, by using sinner, she's likely a prostitute. That's her background. Everyone knows who she is. And from Simon's reasoning, if Jesus is a prophet, he would know who this woman is. And if he knows who this woman is, that he would not let her touch him. But because he's letting her touch him, he must not know who she is, so he must not be a prophet. And, of course, the assumption he's making through all of this is that Jesus would never let a prostitute touch him. But he's wrong about that. Jesus proves not only does Jesus know who this woman is, but he also knows what Simon is thinking. So here, back to the text. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. One owed him two years wages, the other one and a half months. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, "I, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman So I want you to picture this. Jesus is turning towards the woman, looking towards the woman as he's talking to Simon. And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. It was customary to wash the feet of your guests who came in for a dinner party. The the table's just inches off the ground. They're reclining on their left elbow on a pillow at the table with their feet out behind them. And you typically would do that to show honor. Simon doesn't do that for Jesus. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Wet them with her hair. Wet means to rain on. The tears are streaming down her face. You did not give me a kiss. A kiss on a cheek was customary. Common expression of friendship. Simon didn't kiss Jesus. We're starting to get maybe Simon's impression of Jesus. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You, you did not put oil on my head. That would have been a sign of honor, especially for a rabbi teacher. But Simon didn't do that. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You may be seated as we talk about this because Jesus gives some life giving words to this woman words of forgiveness and of love and of grace. She is full of gratitude. Jesus is letting Simon know the reason she's doing this is because of her love for me. But but not just that, it is gratitude for the amount of forgiveness and grace that she's been given. Obviously, something has already even transpired for this woman. We don't know the whole story. We're going to get into some of this here in just a moment. But she is getting life-giving words from Jesus of grace and love and gratitude. And I'm just telling you, when you look around our world. Oftentimes what our world sees is like what Amber, Aaron Chambers talks about in his book, Eat, He eats with, eats with Sinners, where he, he talks about these street preachers. He's been watching them on YouTube and they're out there in Las Vegas, the city of sin, right? Where sinners would be, where sinners would go. And they're just screaming and yelling and shouting and pointing at people and telling them how sinful they are and how bad they are. They don't even know them whatsoever. Pointing at a group of guys and telling them you're in serious trouble. You're a bad person. Looked at a crowd of people and said the trailer park is empty tonight. As you're all here, he's yelling at them. And he goes on to say this, you're the reason why God created the lake of fire. That's what he's saying to people. You're the reason God created the lake of fire. And you're going, really? I thought Jesus said God created hell for the devil and his angels. I thought 2 Peter three nine says God desires that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so you're just kind of left wondering, apparently it wasn't words that we see in the Las Vegas street preacher that was bringing this woman to show her love for Jesus in this moment and appreciation. What words would have he said? What would he have done that would have been so significant for her and reached her heart? What would it look like? And we don't know for sure. But chronologically, I think it sometimes helps when we look at the Gospels chronologically. And you realize right before this account in Luke, Matthew chapter 11 is telling us what happened earlier that day. And earlier that day, Jesus is speaking, yes, he's talking about repentance. And if you don't repent, especially those of you who have more knowledge and more opportunity to know Jesus now than the people of the Old Testament, Jesus is, is saying to them, you need to repent. But then he goes on to say this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke Upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy my burden is light. It is very likely that this woman is listening to Jesus' words that day. And can you imagine how that must have sounded to her? Someone who was weary, someone who was broken, someone who was being condemned, someone who's being shamed all the time. And it wasn't the words of condemnation that turned her over. It wasn't those words of shame that made her want to turn her life around. It wasn't people pointing out her sins that would lead her out of them or free her from them. No, it was these words of Jesus that would do that. And these words were words of love and grace and hope for her condition. That's what these words were. Come to me and find rest for your souls. And oh, how she needed it. And I don't know how she had gotten to where she is. I just know little girls don't dream someday that they're going to be a prostitute. That's what they're going to do. In fact, most women in the sex industry are there today because they were abused as children. I mean, no little girl is dreaming of that. No one grows up wanting to be ashamed of their sin. They just end up there. And this woman was there. She was stuck in her sin. The only word she was ever getting was condemnation. That was the only thing that people were thinking of her. And so she is there having experienced somehow the grace of Jesus. And with great gratitude, she's pouring out her tears, coming humbly to Jesus with confession bowing before him, washing his feet, responding to him in faith to where Jesus would say, your faith has saved you. Your trust in me it saved you. And Jesus tells her, go in peace. Something she hasn't had in a long time, maybe ever. And she leaves that day in peace, saved, forgiven. She will still have to overcome temptation. She'll still have to deal with the social stigma she is still going to have to deal with the poverty that she's going to face without this occupation. There's much to overcome, yet she has the peace of Jesus with her and in her. And she's at peace with him because he forgave her of her sins. This is the outcome. And Simon, the Pharisee, he thinks Jesus is being contaminated by her. He thinks that In this moment, now that Jesus reveals, in fact, he knows who she is and even knows what Simon's thinking, Simon's thinking that Jesus is approving of her. Well, Jesus wasn't condoning her actions. He was just loving her. Jesus was more tolerant of lost people than most of us will ever be because he loved lost people more than most of us ever will. Jesus was not tolerant of sin in his church, but he was grace-filled, tolerant of people who are not yet in the kingdom. And I think we would do well if we want to, like Jesus, change this world one person at a time. It's how Jesus did it. It'd be well if we could just follow his example and we could interact and speak with people the way Jesus did. I think we should follow that and be mod- let him model that. Because your words have the power of life and death. And I think if we're going to follow this, the example of Jesus, we could start with this. Let's speak life giving words to people. Speak life giving words. You've had people speak life giving words into you, even in moments when you know you didn't deserve it. And they helped you to believe in God and in yourself or in the possibility of change. Those words built you up and created a positive something in your life that you appreciate to this very day. Those kinds of words spoken to you were powerful to you. But you've also had words spoken to you that didn't feel like life, they were death. And to this very day, they still sting and hurt your heart. No one will ever want to be with you. You're damaged goods. You're irresponsible. You're just not smart enough. I wish you were never born. I'm just not attracted to you anymore. You lost the game for us tonight. Why can't you be more like this or that? You ruined my life. You ruined her life. Life and death is in the tongue. And you've had experiences where words hurt so deeply that you felt like you were in physical pain from those words. And sometimes you are. In fact, what happens in the brain is very similar. Matthew Lieberman, a neuroscientist, noticed that we tend to use the language of physical pain to describe relational pain. So we'll say something like, man, she broke my heart. Or he hurt my feelings. Or when they said that, it was a punch in the gut. And we will describe relational pain emotional pain, like it's physical pain. He actually decided to study the difference in the brain between physical pain and relational emotional pain. He wanted to see what's the difference in that. And so in his book, social Why Our brains are wired to connect. Lieberman wrote this. He said, looking at brain scans side by side without knowing which one was an analysis of physical pain and which one was an analysis of social pain. He said, you would not have been able to tell the difference. You would not have been able to tell the difference. So that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is just not true. Emotional pain is real, just like physical pain is real. It's why in Ephesians 4.29, we are told not to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but only that which is beneficial to the other person that builds up and meets their needs, that's helpful to them, not destructive to them. Our words matter. So we are to speak life-giving words to people. Jesus would do that. And that's why these sinners were drawn to him. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you to do today. It is to speak words to God about people. So if we're speaking life-giving words to people. Then we speak words to God about people. We talk to God first on behalf of others. We speak to God. We, We do what Courtney did. We pray to God for people. We pray with people. We ask God to see people and to help meet their needs and to help us know what we can do or what we can say or how we can come alongside of them. And we pray for them and we pray with them. I mean, think of the impact if you were to record a prayer. I've had people do this for me and it was just incredible. They recorded themselves praying on a voice memo and then they sent the text. And you you don't just read a prayer, but you actually get to hear them praying for you. It's powerful when we do this, praying to God about people. This is something that we've been saying as a church, we want to do more of. We want to pray to God about people, for people, with people. In fact, back on January 15th, some of you were probably here when we did our Prayer Global experience where everybody downloaded the Prayer Global app. And some of you got on your devices and you just went to the website, prayer.global. And we prayed for all how the world had been broken down into 4,770 states. And we all started praying through the content that was there. We prayed, we made it a complete lap, actually one and a half times around the world of prayer, praying for every state of the world. And you were a part of that. It was powerful. I got an email a couple of weeks after the, that. And Kelsey emailed me and just said, hey, this afternoon while my daughter, Journey, who's three years old, was playing, I sat down, opened up the app and I began to pray. Shortly after, Journey came in and asked what I was doing. I explained it the best I could in words I thought maybe she could understand, but I didn't really think she would. But she asked. I asked if she wanted to pray with me, and she said yes. We walked through the app, and we prayed for probably 10 states uh, around our world. I'm sure you can imagine how big of a deal this is for a three-year-old's attention span. She cheered for the fireworks after we finished praying for a state. She asked lots of questions about the inspirational picture that would come up, and we'd pray for that picture taken from that area. Or we, when it pointed out the diagram showing the percentages of believers and non-believers. When we got done, you know, we pointed to the map, and all the green places were the places we had prayed for, and all the red places were the places that, had, that needed prayed for. And she goes, it was an inspiring experience for me. She said, I, "I feel I struggle to pray, especially with my kids. With this app, broke down that barrier, encouraged prayer in my house today. Thank you for introducing us to it. And then after that, which I thought was amazing enough, she sent me a video of her talking of her daughter journey, uh, talking about her experience with this. So, give your attention to the screen and just enjoy. Um, can you tell me about it? Um, um,
1: what did we um, just do? Um. We prayed. What did we pray for? Um, a people doesn't, doesn't know God and, and people I hear about God but doesn't
0: know God. Yeah. And, and they're in other countries, right?
1: All over the world.
0: I love for a word. Mm-hmm. And
1: there's a lot of people that doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't know Jesus. Is that good or bad? Bad. It's sad, isn't it? Yeah. So we prayed for them that they'd know him? Yeah. And that they'd open their Bibles and that they'd get Bibles so they can read about Jesus mm-hmm. like we mm-hmm. do? Mm hmm. hmm. Yeah. What did you think? Did you like that? Did you like to do that? Yeah. You liked it? What is your favorite part? Um, I didn't know. A firework. You like the fireworks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool, huh? We mommy, got to pray and then we saw fireworks. Mommy.
0: Yeah. I like see a, a firework cloud, a pot, guys a that look like my kind of fireworks. I firework, one those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Sissy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Adorable. Praise God for that. But yeah, I just loved that. But the heart of a child praying to God about people. Praying to God about strangers you don't even know. Praying to God about people who are far away from God or who need a relationship with the Lord. And here she is praying for people that she doesn't know but talking to God about it. Jesus would pray to start his day. He would speak to God with us, spend time with the Father, His Heavenly Father, the Father God, as the Son God was carrying out his ministry here on earth, we need to do the same thing. Be a good way to start your day. Talk to God about people. And when you speak, speak life-giving words to people. You know, one of the things that we as a church, we just had a heightened sense of prayer and our dependence on the Lord and our need for that, for people to come to Jesus. And you've been sensing that in all of these different ways. In fact, one of the ways I'm, I'm super excited about is in the coming weeks, you're going to start seeing a prayer team around here where every Sunday morning they're just praying for people. They're going to be available to pray with you, to pray with people. And maybe even ask, you know, just hey, what can we pray for? And they're just going to be praying throughout the morning. And then during our decision point time, they're going to be around the room just available to pray with people. Sometimes you just want to go up to someone and just let them pray for you or pray with you or over you for something, whatever's on your heart. And we want to do more of that because this is, this is what it looks like as we speak to God, the power of these words. So we speak to God about people. And then I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to speak God's word out loud before you speak out loud to people. As you start your day, speak God's word out loud before you speak out loud to people. Your heart needs to be right. Your mind needs to be right. You need to be thinking right. You need to be saying things that actually align with the will and heart of the Lord. We need to speak God's word out loud before we speak out loud to people. Otherwise, our thinking is not right. Jesus was shaped By the word of God, he was the word, he proclaimed the word. Speak God's word out loud, because in doing so, you will have God's word in your heart. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and we need to speak his word. Jesus said, we will give an account one day for every word that comes out of our mouth. We'll give an account to God for every word. And so at the end of the day, maybe we should do a post-day analysis of our words As we put our head on our pillow to think through the words throughout the day, and were those God-honoring, were those life-giving, what were those words like? And maybe one thing that might help your post-analysis at the end of the day go better is if you do a a pre-day reading of God's Word and speak it out loud. Your post-day analysis might go a lot better if you actually spend time in His Word letting it speak to you to get your mind right, your heart right, If you're going to evaluate and confess at the end of the day, how about we speak God's word out loud at the beginning of the day? And so a pre-day reading of God's word and getting things right. Otherwise, our thinking is just wrong. And that's what we see in this text in Luke 7. Simon, the, the Pharisee, his thinking was wrong. His thinking about Jesus was wrong. His thinking about this woman was wrong. He should have known better. But the text says, Simon said to himself. Sometimes you don't say it out loud. You're speaking to yourself. You're speaking to your own mind and to your own heart. And sometimes the things that you're saying to yourself, they're not God honoring. They are lies that come from the enemy. Sometimes what you're saying to yourself is because you're not letting the life-giving words of Jesus speak over you. Our words carry real power when we say them to ourselves and to our hearts. And his words from Simon, those words had the tone of condemnation, rejection, shame, unloving to this woman, even unloving to Jesus. Of course, he didn't realize he was guilty because he hadn't done any post-day analysis of his words or his thoughts or his actions Both Simon and this woman are in need of forgiveness, but only one is mourning over her sin. Only one is coming humbly to Jesus and bowing down and letting the tears flow because of her own brokenness and her own sin. Only one was confessing and coming humbly before God. And your posture when you come before the Lord means everything. Whether you find forgiveness or whether you get rebuked, That woman found peace that day. Her faith saved her that day. She found the life-giving words of Jesus and forgiveness that day. But Simon, he was rebuked. And sometimes when we come to a story like this, and I say, who would you rather be? A religious leader of prominence, hosting a party at your house like Simon, or the prostitute, the sinful woman? And I think the first part of us is like, well, I'd rather be like a religious leader and be well-respected and be in my home. And Jesus saying, I wish your heart was a lot more like hers. You probably should rather be like her. Who comes humbly and broken before the Lord, confessing her sins and finding forgiveness and healing. Because Jesus didn't just want to encounter her at a banquet with a Pharisee. He wanted her to be at the dinner banquet in his coming kingdom for all of eternity. If you would come to Jesus humbly confessing your sins, this will change everything. 1 John 1, 9 through 2, 2 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Do you believe that? And purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Because we're listening to a different word. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but also the sins for the whole world. If you would come humbly before Jesus, he is waiting with arms open wide to forgive you and to heal you and to forgive you and to send you away in peace. If you would come humbly acknowledging your sin and confessing it to him, the blood of Jesus, the atoning sacrifice, will purify you from all unrighteousness. He's waiting for a humble heart to come. And if you would come with with those words of confession, Jesus will bring life-giving words over you and he will heal you and he will purify you and he will save you and he will forgive you. I want us to reflect on that for a few moments. The importance of the posture of confession and repentance, especially as you reflect on the cross of Jesus. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.